It's great to see you all here today. I hope you're excited about uh, church and the things of God and hope that you're excited about what God has for you in the preaching of his word. There's something for you. Amen. If you're seeking for it, you'll find it. For Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here, Romans 1, 14 to verse number 17. It says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just help me to preach this message today. Give me the physical strength, the mental strength, and Lord, of course, the spiritual power I need to bring forth this message that will make a difference in the hearts of everybody here in this room. We'll give you all the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. An interesting word I see here in verse number 15. The Apostle Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am ready. I am ready. That word ready means that I have a temperament or a passion or I'm predisposed I'm already willing and I'm already prompted to give out the gospel to the people that I need to give it to. And I thought about that word. I thought, this is very important for us. I don't know about you. Like, I know there's not a Christian in this room that does not want to tell someone about Jesus. But I also know there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, in us, when we say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Or or maybe when it gets to that point, you know, your mouth gets dry and you start stuttering and you're afraid and you kind of back out of it because it's a fearful thing. The Apostle Paul was at a point in his life where he said, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And that's what I want to make in my life where I'm ready, where you're ready, where this church is ready, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, that we're ready to tell someone about what Christ has done for us ready to preach the gospel. So that almost means that we have to pre-prepare ourselves. If we're not going to prepare ourselves for giving out the gospel, if we're just waiting for you know, the situation to arise, we're not really preparing for it, we're not really getting ready to give out the gospel, what you're going to find is when the opportunity presents itself <clears throat> that you're really not going to be ready to give it. And you're going to find yourself shrinking back. And so part of my burden as a pastor is to teach people how to properly or how to prepare themselves to actually tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I think this passage has some keys for us. I think that's going to really help us as we learn this. Now we already learned in verse number four what the really key issue is. And that is, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
That, my friend, is the central aspect, the foundation of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just him, but him and his resurrection. And so that becomes our, our, our power behind it. But we still have to prepare ourselves to give this message. We must become predisposed to the gospel, predisposed. This means that we have already had our minds predisposed to share the gospel before we get into specific conversations. Our hearts already must be in prayer for souls, and every person we see that is lost must be someone we are praying that the Lord would open a door of opportunity to share the gospel with. That's what it means to be predisposed towards the gospel. If you go to the job site and all you see are co-workers, you're not ready to give them the gospel. But if you look at them as lost people, people without Christ and people that need the message of the gospel, now you're preparing yourself because you're seeing them for what they really are. But many times we get into such relationships with people around us, they almost move out of that category altogether of that kind of person that I actually care about enough that I'm going to give them a presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he can do for them. Amen. So we have to keep before us all. We have to predispose ourselves towards the gospel. And we have to remember that these people on the job or at the store, at the post office, downtown, wherever it is, we have to train our minds to look at them and say, you know what? This person is either going to heaven or hell. And whether they go to heaven is whether someone like me that says they has the answer is going to give it to them. And I have to prepare myself for that. And if I don't do it, Lord help me if I'm leaving it for someone else. (laughs) Now, I don't think that every person you see, you got to run, can I give you the gospel? Give you the gospel, you know. But I'm telling you something, we got to be Holy Spirit led in this. But how are we going to be Holy Spirit led and who are going to give the gospel to if we don't even see the people around us as people that we need to give the gospel to? Amen? It starts with being predisposed to the necessary. Uh, event that's going to happen where this person needs to hear from me. I need to give them the gospel. It's just a matter of when the Lord is going to open that door of opportunity. Amen. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So many times the reason why we're not ready to give the gospel is the Lord himself is not set apart in our hearts. He is not sanctified. We don't, he's, he doesn't have that special place in our own life. <laughs> and that's why we don't see souls the way he sees them. Because we're looking through our eyes, not the eyes of the Lord. Amen. We must become passionate about the gospel. If we are ready, we must be passionate about the potential to share that message to people. If we are burdened and if we are predisposed, we'll make ourselves ready to preach that gospel. But if there's no passion, there's no burden inside of you to reach a soul for Christ. I mean, I remember when I first got saved and uh, most of the people I knew uh, were saved already and they, they had already been a part of telling people about Christ. I remember how how uh, I felt like such a stranger, not being able to, not, never having told somebody how to be saved. And I remember praying over and over, Lord, please, you got to help me. I want to lead at least one person to Jesus before I die. <laughs> you know, and I remember praying that and saying, Lord, please help me. 
help me. I want to I know that I've done this. I, I want to know that I've told somebody. And I spent months in prayer over that. And then I would start going out with my buddies and we'd go knock on doors and I'd just be a silent partner. I wouldn't even necessarily be the one that talked. And every person that did get saved through the witness of the person I was with, I counted that as mine too because I put a lot of effort and prayer into that soul. And we had many people come to Christ, but even in all of that, we said, Lord, I want to lead someone to Christ. That's got to be in your heart. You've got to have a passion for that. You've got to make a decision that you want to be somebody that God can use to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you? Don't be ashamed if you haven't. I remember I hadn't, you know. But it, it doesn't matter whether you have or have not. It just matters whether you desire that. Do you desire that? See, that's where it all begins. If there's no passion in my heart to to help someone understand the gospel, I'll never be a part of it. I'll never be used in bringing someone to Christ. We must be willing to preach the gospel. The battle is to whether we will do it. And you know what? When we're talking to people on the job or whatever, that battle has already have to be won. You already should have won the battle that I will. I will, Lord. When the opportunity comes up, I will tell them about you. If you'll open up that door, and I'll tell you, if you pray it, if you say, Lord, please open up a door, he'll open it. You just be ready. That battle of whether you will or not has already been fought. And you already won. Amen. So when that door opens up, you're going to walk through. You're going to tell them. You're going to explain to them what Jesus Christ did for you. And so I've got a couple of points here in this passage that I'm going to give to you in regards to preparing to give someone the gospel or preparing to preach the gospel. So the first point we need here is we need to prepare by understanding the gospel. Now, this is, there's two different perspectives of this, and I don't want to confuse you, but the gospel itself, the word means good news or good tidings. And it is a good news. The problem is this, before you give anybody good news, The reason why it has to be good news is because there's already bad stuff happening. That means if if I didn't have bad stuff happening, there'd be no need for good news. And if there's there's no bad news, then there's never good news. (laughs) But if there's bad news going on, then you know there's got to be some good news here. And so if you're someone that's supposed to give out the good news, one thing you cannot shy away from is explaining to them what the bad news is. You got to understand that this isn't about, would you like to be in heaven forever with God? (laughs) Well, sure, that's a part of it. You want them to be with God, but they can't get to heaven just because they want to be in heaven. What's keeping them out of heaven? Why can't you go to heaven? What's separating you from God? (laughs) See, we have to cross that bridge. We have to talk to people and say, you know, this is why you cannot go to heaven. And it's true. So it has to be answered. That's what the gospel is, the good news. Even though you're not good enough to go to heaven, there is a way for you to get there. That's good news. And that's in Jesus Christ. Now, the simple definition of the gospel is this, and I've taught this over and over. You guys probably know it off by heart. It's three parts, right? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel which I've preached unto you, 
which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. Then it says, by which also ye are saved. All right? So we know this gospel he's talking about is important because you're, you, I've preached it to you, you've received it, you're standing in it, and it's the same message that saved you. Amen? That's the gospel. So he goes on to explain what that is. It says, of course, first here, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That means there's people that hear it. Today there's people in this room, they may hear what I'm saying, but they're not willing to trust it. And you'll say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ died and died for my sin and so forth. But in your heart, you haven't trusted it. You haven't gone that far. You're still holding on to more than one thing. That's why some people say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but just in case I got baptized. <laughs> you know, well, you're just in case just condemned you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you understand? If you've got a just in case, that shows you that you've never trusted Christ. Mm-hmm. If there's one other thing you're holding on to other than just trusting Christ, you know you're not saved. Because trusting Christ means letting go of everything else. <laughs> that means putting all of your faith in what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. If you're holding on to your baptism, your church membership, well, I've been pretty good. Well, no, you're not very good. The Bible's clear on that. You've got a corrupt nature. It's never good enough to go to heaven. (laughs) Amen? So if you're going to get to heaven, it's got to be by something he does for you, not something that you can do for yourself. So salvation has to be a gift. It's not something you purchase or earn. And so he goes on to say here, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then in the passage, he goes on to talk about the witnesses of the resurrection, how there were 500 brethren at once that saw him, and then I saw him last as one born out of due time. I saw the resurrected Christ. And so there's three things that he mentions here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This is a simple definition of what the gospel is. What's going to save your soul is the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God, died for you, he went to the grave for you, but he didn't stay in the grave, he didn't stay in, in Hades, he didn't stay in that place of separation, he, was, he, he, he actually defeated death and he rose up. And the Bible says right now he sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven, praying for us, ever liveth to make intercession for us, it says, that other people can be saved. The only reason that anybody can be saved is because he's up there, defeated death, and is praying for the souls of mankind. Amen? And so that's a simple definition. But to be prepared, so to be saved. If I go to a child, they're young, they don't understand all the doctrines of the scripture, but if I can help them understand who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ did for them, understand the, the reason why Jesus would have to do that for them, and if they in faith would turn their hearts to Christ and trust him like a child, they could get saved. In the simple definition of the gospel. But what about to those that are preaching it? Now, there's got to come a time where I've got to move from the simple into the foundational. And this is where when you're getting ready to tell someone about Christ, you are in a process of growing and learning 
so that you can know what you're saying to people and what's behind it. So you may giving, be giving them the simple definition of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, but you know the foundation of all those truths in your heart. So that when things come up in the conversation, you're saying, yes, but this is why I say that, because of the justification that's been given to us through Christ. Well, a little a child doesn't have to know about justification, <laughs> you know. Well, this is the meaning of atonement and the meaning of imputation and the meaning of all these doctrinal words. Well, you're not going to have a six, seven, or eight-year-old knowing the meaning of those words, but they will know that Jesus Christ came, died, was buried, and rose for them. But I'm talking about being prepared to preach, to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's not only the simple definition, but we can move on from that somewhat. And we got to learn about the doctrines that give the gospel its power. Because you understand this, just because someone tells you that someone died, was buried, and rose again, doesn't mean it's going to save them. Now, who is it that died, was buried, and rose again? Now, if they tell you that an angel died, was buried, and rose again, you can't be saved. If it was simply a man that died, was buried, and rose again, you wouldn't be saved. But if they were to tell you that Jesus Christ, who was the pre-existent Son of God, came and took upon himself the form of man so he could die in our place and pay a penalty that we owed. And they told you that the Lord hath redeemed you. That God himself gave his life for you. Now you've got the means of salvation. See, that's what gives the gospel its power. So you can have a bunch of movements out there talking about who they think died and rose again. But if it's not the right Jesus, <laughs> there's no salvation. Do you understand? And there's all kinds of false teaching out there. The doctrines. Romans 10 verse 16, it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That means that your faith will be built as you give yourself to the learning of scripture. As you give yourself to understanding scripture, your faith will also be increased. So if I'm going to prepare myself to give out the gospel, and I've been too afraid, I'm, a, I'm scared to tell someone about Jesus, well, then I, my faith needs to be built. Yep. So that means I need to go further than just simply the, the simple definition, and I need to bolster some of my doctrines in my presentation so that I know what I'm saying when I'm saying that Jesus died. I could say Jesus died, but in my heart I'm saying, hey, Jesus is God. <laughs> and Jesus was virgin born. And all these different things I know about that give me the, the confidence to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and how that he came to die for you. Philippians 1.27, it says, Only let your conversation or lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. He's talking to the church now. With one mind, he's talking to the church now, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So there's a faith of the gospel. So it's not just simply a 
uh, the death, burial, and resurrection, the simple definition that's going to carry us through here. But we unify together in more than just a simple definition of the gospel. We unify together in the faith of it. And the faith are the doctrines that undergird that simple definition that make it so powerful. And it's that doctrine that makes us unique as a church. Amen? We don't believe that Jesus was an angel. Amen? A created being. He is God. He was not created. In fact, the Bible says that he created all things. If he created all things, how could he create himself? Amen? And so there's certain things in the book of Romans that we're going to look at as time goes on here, as we study the first few chapters, especially because the first few chapters of Romans is going to give us that foundational doctrine uh, that we need to learn in order to be practically effective. And so redemption is one of those. The word redemption just simply means to let go free for a ransom. So this is part of the process of the gospel. So when I receive Christ as my Savior, he's redeeming me. (laughs) Remember I've told you that You've been redeemed, you're being redeemed, and you will be redeemed. <laughs> There's always three, three tenses to it. I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. <laughs> There's always three tenses to it. That means I am saved, I've been redeemed, I've received Christ, I'm guaranteed the future one, but yet as I'm living my life practically, I'm living as someone that needs to be saved. I need to be delivered from this present evil world. And so what he gave me in the first tense helps me in the second tense and prepares me for the third tense. Amen? This is the spirit, this is the soul, and that's the body. And all three parts of these have been redeemed. And it's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The ransom has been paid. Number two is justification. This is the act which declares a right or just person as such. If the Lord says, I justify you, what he just did is he just declared you righteous. The Bible says that for it is God that justifieth. You see in Romans chapter 8. So what that means is that you can't. (laughs) Amen. We're good at that. You ever heard somebody, oh, you're just justifying what, see, we're good at justifying ourselves. But you know, the Bible is very clear that the only one that could ever justify anybody is God. That's why it says, God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar, that thou mayest be justified in all thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. See, you gotta let God be true and every man a liar. That's the only way that you can be justified in the things you say and in the things you do. If you're just coming up with your own doctrines and your own, well, I just think I feel, you know, all the tag words. Well, I just believe this. Well, believing doesn't make it right. I mean, you can say you come from a monkey. doesn't mean you came from a monkey. It takes a lot of faith to believe you come from a monkey. More faith than I have. (laughs) Amen. But just because you say, well, I believe, well, it doesn't mean you're right. Well, I just feel, well, there you go. <laughs> Feeling is the end of the equation, not at the beginning. The beginning is the mind, and then the will, and then the emotions. 
What's going on here? Where do you get your facts from? Where do you get your truth from? You know, that's, it's got, if I believe, it's got to be based in some object of belief. Is that object of belief worthy of my belief? Well, science, <laughs> well, science has taught us a lot in the last three years how it's really not as dependable as we'd like for it to be. You know, it's made by man. It's changing. There's a time they thought the world was flat, and then they thought the world was round. Everybody thinks it's flat again. <laughs> Next time it's going to be a triangle. I don't know. <laughs> Justification. Imputation. Imputation means to take an inventory, to count. So that means this is the problem, that if I'm going to hell, the problem is that something's been imputed to me. The reason why I have to go there is there's something on me that I have to go there because it's on me. There's a, an accounting that has been done, and that accounting has determined that what I have in me is worthy of that place. And we know that's sin. That's why the Bible says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord doth not impute iniquity, or does not impute sin. So there can be a situation where you are a sinner, yet the Lord does not impute that sin to you. If you have that sin imputed to you, you're in big trouble. <laughs> and I think that's why the Lord made it in the scriptures where the, in the Lord's mind that he was like a lamb slain from the foundation of the world so he could hold over mankind the wrath, but he has not quite imputed it to you until you die and have to go there. So even now, today, you could be lost here. Can I tell you this, that you still have an opportunity to have righteousness imputed to you? Yeah. So that you can go to heaven? Nowadays, you've got to be careful because a lot of people with the gospel, they're trying to take out of the gospel message the aspect of sin. It's not about sin. It's just about belief. You believe in God, you're going to heaven. <laughs> Well, you need to understand there's a reason why you have to turn to Christ. Yeah. And you got to get straight about this. There's a reason why Jesus had to come and die. And, and for you to say, well, it doesn't matter, probably wouldn't make Jesus feel too good about that. Especially after suffering like he did for you. Yeah. That means you have to come to him acknowledging what he went through because of you. He went through that because of you. And if you'd have been the only person on this planet, he would have gone through the same thing, no lesser degree. Yep. If it had just been one person that he had to die for, he would have had to gone through the exact same thing to the same degree, no lesser just because it's you. Amen. So you put him there. You stabbed him in the side with the spear. You put the nails in the hand. You brought the darkness over him. You caused him to be separated from his father. You brought death to him who's only known life, who is life. Yeah. Amen. And when it comes to turning to Christ, there's an acknowledgement of that. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. I heard somebody say, it doesn't matter if you're, you're sinning or, you, <laughs> or you're just continuing sin as long as you believe. Well, I got this problem that if I truly acknowledge what Jesus did for me because of my sin, and if my attitude towards my sin has not changed because of that, then did I really acknowledge that? Yeah. Now, I understand I'll always be a sinner, and I'll always 
do things that are wrong. He said, after I'm getting saved, I'm going to be really convicted about it, <laughs> you know, because I'm going to have Jesus Christ to put it against. And I'm going to think about the sin that I did and say, man, I, I, I shamed him again, you know. And so it brings conviction upon us. But it's not about, oh, you can go and live on forever in sin. It doesn't matter anyways. <laughs> Folks, if you can think that little about sin after you say you got saved, I question whether you really got saved. Because it has a lot to do with sin. <laughs> Your sin is what separated from you from God in the first place. Your sin is why Jesus had to die on the cross and suffer the way he did because of your sin. Your sin had to be dealt with. It had to be removed. <laughs> Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Not only that, before you could go to heaven, the Bible said that he had to impute to you righteousness. That means even though he would have paid for your sins, if he didn't impute to you righteousness, how are you going to stand before a righteous God? Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling, to present us faultless before him, before his glory, in the book of Jude. That means you're going to stand before God, not like Moses who was put in the cleft of the rock and his hand, God held his hand over him. I'll let you see the hinder parts of me, Moses, because if you'd see more than that, you would just simply die. So God gave Moses a little glimpse of who he was, just the hindermost parts. And the Bible says that Moses came down from the mountain glowing in his face. Yeah. And if he would have got a one degree more than that, he would have died on the spot. But now the Bible says to him that is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before his glory. Yeah. That means in Jesus Christ, if you have received uh, the imputation of righteousness to yourself, you will stand before God as someone that has never sinned and therefore could not die even in the direct presence of the full glory of God. Yeah. That, my friend, is salvation. <laughs> Has a lot to do with sin and righteousness. So you be careful of some of these guys. They'll take that simple definition of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, and they'll start adding stuff into there <laughs> that weakens it at its core. Yeah. But these doctrines that I'm telling you about, they don't weaken the gospel. They strengthen it. They give power to the gospel message. Amen? Yeah. This is what we need to do if we want to be prepared to tell people. Say, preacher, that means that I won't be able to tell anybody until I know it all. <laughs> no. That just means you ought to have a heart of a student as you are looking to seek souls and bring people into the kingdom of God. You ought to desire to know more and to seek and what I need to learn. As I learned in, in telling people about Christ, I learned stuff about people. I learned things about scripture. In fact, it's only when I started soul winning that the Lord gave me the ability to truly memorize scripture. It's almost like the Lord said... <laughs> Why would I give you the power to memorize if you're not going to use it? I'll tell you, as soon as I started soul winning, all of a sudden I could recall scripture like that. <laughs> because I was not only memorizing it, I was putting it into practice. You see, it's important. And so imputation, atonement, this is an exchange or a reconciliation that takes place. When Christ made an atonement for our sins, he did that so he could take our hand and put it together with his father. Yeah. 
Amen. Let's get you two guys back together here. That's why Jesus became our atonement. Amen. In Romans 5.11 it says, And not only so, but we also, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So all these things are mentioned in the book of Romans. Number five is propitiation. That's a big word. (laughs) This is relating to an appeasing or expiating, having placating or expiating force. What that means is this, is that God the Father needed to work out his wrath against sin. And if Jesus didn't put himself in the path of that, God would have had to work out his wrath on you. That means you would have been the object of God's wrath. The Bible says that his wrath already abideth on you in the book of John. So his wrath is just abiding on lost mankind. And the only reason it has not fallen and every soul has gone to hell is because the father saw what his son did thousands of years before he did it, and he was like a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So he withheld his wrath. He held it above mankind. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. This is why the wicked prosper. This is why those that sin and those that you think deserve hell, God lets them enjoy the, the, the harvest and the planting and the food and the things that you think they don't deserve. Because as God looks at them, he no, no longer just sees their sinfulness because he, I'll tell you this, if he would look at their sinfulness and your sinfulness, there'd be no difference. So he made a decision to withhold his wrath upon mankind because of what Jesus Christ, his son, was going to do for mankind. Now that propitiation, that word, it's talking about someone that appeases that wrath. Someone that becomes the focal point of all that wrath in one moment. And that's what Jesus Christ is. The Bible says in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Notice justification, grace, redemption. One little verse there, you got three big words mentioned there. This is the power. This is what gives the gospel its power, you see. Then it goes on to say, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So in other words, if you will put your faith in the fact that Jesus shed his blood for you on that cross, that Jesus Christ will become the point of wrath for you. He will take all of God's wrath on himself for you. He will become your propitiation. (laughs) But if you don't put faith in his blood, then God still has to bring his wrath down upon you. See, that's the power of the gospel. Amen. That's a pretty powerful thing. It goes on to say, it says, uh, to set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. There you see it. Whose righteousness are we declaring here? If you're going to get saved through the gospel, 
I'm going to tell you what part your righteousness has in the process. Zero. There's no part of your righteousness that enters into this message at any point in time. He did this for you. He became your propitiation so that ultimately he could declare his righteousness, not yours. So as I stand as a saved individual before the glory of God, I'm not being some kind of a herald of what I have done. I'm being a herald of what God has done. Every last one of us. That's why in uh, the book of Revelation, talks about all the Christians are going to stand before God in that moment after we're called up and raptured. And the Bible says, and this is, by the way, this happens before the Antichrist comes on the scene. This happens before the tribulation. You can see that chronologically in the book of Revelation that we're all standing there and we're singing a song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. The book was the book of the judgments. Only Jesus Christ was worthy to open up those seals. And it's pretty amazing that all of us were there to see it and sing about it before it happened. And to open the, bucket, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So that means before God that day, there will be people from every language, every people group, every nation standing before the Lord that day. And we'll all be singing the same thing. Thou art worthy. There's no smart aleck there. I'm worthy. They didn't make it. They didn't make it. And if you think you're worthy of salvation, you're not going to be singing that song. We live in a world today where people, God, give me what I deserve. I deserve better than this. God just saying, if you just understand what you truly deserve, you would never ask me to do that. But we're so entitled today. That's how messed up our society is. Our society ought to be on its face before God, realizing how we've broken his holy laws, how we've been so foolish and unwise, and the mercy we need. There's not one thing in us that deserves salvation, but we're just falling upon the mercy of the court. Please save me. Please save me. I believe you. That's the only thing he'll take from you. He'll only take your trust. It's the only thing you can offer. If you can't give him your trust, he doesn't want anything else. Propitiation. Faith. This is our persuasion. Our moral conviction. Romans 3, I like this passage in verse 3. It says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? (laughs) So it's like this. Just because you say, I don't believe, does that mean that what God said isn't true? Is not what God said going to happen anyways with or without your approval? (laughs) You know? 
I always liken that to a person walking towards the edge of the cliff and putting their eyes, hands over their eyes. There's no cliff there. There's no cliff. And we keep walking. And people are just telling them, don't go there. <laughs> You're going to die. <laughs> I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Well, the fact of the matter is, it's there. Well, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe a loving God would send someone to hell. No. The loving God is the only person that made a way for you out of hell. (laughs) If he would have done nothing, then you would have gone where you simply deserved to go. That was your destination. (laughs) He was loving enough to provide a way for you to escape. (laughs) Don't blame God for our wickedness. Look at ourselves, man. Look at mankind. We're going to blame God for that? No, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. God's provided us the way out of it. Amen? Faith. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. This is all we can really do is just be convinced in our heart what Jesus Christ did was true. That's what it is. Faith is important. It's not just a mental faith, it's a heart faith. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. A lot of people heard Sunday school stories and they, oh, I heard my Sunday school. Yeah, they said something like that. And yeah, that's a good story. It's all up here. <laughs> well, that Sunday school story didn't save you. It's when that sank down to here. See, your heart, that's where your trust lives. Not just your storage unit, <laughs> amen? Oh, I, I've read the whole, I've, had, I've read the Bible five times. <laughs> and it's funny, in five times, none of it got to here. It doesn't matter how much you have of it up here. It only matters how much of that went down in here. And how much of that went down in here is going to be revealed in what you do out there. Amen? Today we live in a day where Christians, oh yeah, God doesn't care, I can do what I want. No, it's just simply you don't trust them. You don't really believe them. You don't have faith. Amen? There's something about faith, man. You have faith, you think ahead a little bit here. You look at that final judgment, the great white throne judgment. Every lost person you know that does not come to Christ, you will stand there and see them pale and and shrink in the presence of a holy God. And ultimately, mighty angels will come and take them and throw them into the lake of fire and you'll never see them again. Then for an eternity, they will be in torment. You really believe that? Yeah, preacher, that's what the Bible says. No, no, no. It's what the Bible says. But do you believe that? Oh, yes, I do. Then why has your husband never heard you tell him about Jesus? Or your wife? Or your mother, your father, your children? I've done funerals and talked to the children about their dad. They didn't even know whether their dad was saved or not. They couldn't give me a clear testimony whether the father had been born again or whether he was lost. I couldn't even tell people in the service whether he was in heaven or not. That's faith? 
I'm going to tell you something. If you have faith that there's a burning hell that people are going to go to one day and they will be there for eternity, if it has not sank down into your heart, true faith, I'll guarantee you will know whether your mother or father has received Christ or not. You will know whether grandpa and grandpa are saved or not. You will know whether your children are saved or not because you will not rest until you know. Because faith is not about here. Faith is about here. And when it hits here, you will not be able to sleep or breathe until you know. Because all you see is your dad standing at that great white throne. And you see him crying and begging for mercy. But the time of mercy is over. And God can do nothing. Except take them and throw them where they chose to go. And then I'll have to live with whether I cared enough or believed enough whether they were saved or not. Amen? You talk about faith. I think we live in a day and age we got to stop with this fake Christianity. And we need to start living like we really believe what's in this book. I've read it, preacher. Great. But has it hit here? I remember my dad. He was at a mission conference one time in Winkler. And uh, the preacher was preaching a message like this. And he was saying... You've got family members. They're lost and you don't even know it. And then you make all kinds of, well, they live over there. I can't see them. He says, that's no excuse. We live in a day and age. You can write a letter. You can pick up a phone. You can throw out a text. There's no excuse. You don't need to move there to give them the gospel. My dad was so under conviction. He had a sister in Mexico that after that message, he went home, he picked up that phone, and he said, Tina, I just want to tell you, (laughs) I have never told you this before, I just want to tell you because I feel so burdened. I want to make sure you're saved. Right there on the phone, she bowed and received Christ over a phone call. See, that's the difference it makes when your faith is here or here. You're hearing me preach. It's all going here. But it's a minority here. I wonder who's going to let it hit here. You'll all be able to talk about the message after the service because you all got the information but maybe only a handful will say, this is going to change me. I really believe now. This is what I need to do. See, we want to be prepared to give out the gospel. The Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. When he saw that soul, he had a vision of what they would look like before that great white throne. And nothing was going to stop him.
Amen. Let's bow our heads. I don't know if there's someone in your life right now, you say, I don't know if they're lost or saved. Maybe your mom or dad, maybe your children, maybe your grandparents, maybe a cousin, somebody maybe the Lord is just putting on your heart right now. Maybe there's somebody just at the top of your mind. This preacher's not doing that. I don't have that kind of power but the Holy Spirit of God does. And maybe he's bringing that person to the top of your mind because he knows that you have the key to present them what they need to hear. And if nothing else, take one of the gospel tracts on the back and read it to them. Give it to them. Prepare yourself to give the gospel. This is really the evidence of a real revival happening in our hearts when we begin to care about other souls. We stop being so selfish. It's all about us. And we start giving of ourselves for others, dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, being willing to look like a fool if we need to be. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm willing to do it. So I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you today. Maybe you just need to make that decision. I need to prepare myself to give up the gospel to my family, to people, my friends, coworkers. And I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to let that sink into my heart. Or maybe you're here today. There's a specific person the Lord has laid on your heart even this morning that you need to make your personal prayer life about that soul. And say, I'm going to pray and, and tell this person until they get saved, I want to know we're going to be.